Hello and welcome to A Bloody Mess, a badly researched true crime podcast. We'll be fixating mainly on UK-based crimes, but every now and again we will take a little homicide holiday. We're going on holiday! We're going on holiday! Featuring crimes from around the world. Joining me tonight, and as always he'll be joining me, is my HH homie and co-host, James. Thank you. Uh, the voice you've just been hearing uh, was Chen. He forgot to introduce himself, so I guess I'll have to do that. Thank you. Uh, and really, he has been the driving force behind the research for this episode, and he's really excelled himself. Thank you very much. Um, this episode is about the one and the only Dr. H. H. Holmes. There's been a murder of podcast. A bloody mess. So carrying on with the podcast, HH Holmes, the facts you will need to know, um, he has got a kill count of nine. He's confessed to 27, but the real count could be over 200, and we'll get to that later. What he did, really, was around the 1890s, he basically designed a hotel to kill people. The thing had bloody greased chutes going down to the basement. So we'll start by telling you around the situation, around about the time, how this allowed to go under the radar. We'll go over his childhood, we'll go over you know, his teenage years, going into university, his killings, and his eventual capture. Spoiler alert. He's dead. <laughs> uh, you'll also hear me uh, butting in with things. Uh, in future podcasts, we'll actually take turns on who's doing the lead. Today, it's Chen taking the lead, and I'm taking a back seat, and is more of a casual observer or a layman, even though I know quite a bit about the subject matter as well. <laughs> uh, but basically, I'm going to be butting in with interruptions, attempts at humour, and observations I've made throughout my research as well. Yeah, good man. We're doing H.H. Holmes because, you know, my my brief knowledge of serial killers, you led me to this man, and I think this guy's foresight, his planning, the way he did it, is he's the absolute daddy of serial killers. I mean, what's your take on that? Who's your daddy? Uh, well, (laughs) 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 well, if we save that question for later on, I think the the take on it is basically H.H. Holmes was such a fantastic character because... The circumstances, all all the planets aligned to allow it to happen. It was the combination of all the circumstances that you're going to get into that meant that like people weren't expecting someone to do this to start with. There was an abundance of people in Chicago at the time. Anyway, the police weren't expecting anyone to be acting like this. People didn't believe reports of it, and it was it was just everything lined up. It was it was an incredible occurrence, really. No, definitely, and we'll get to all that. As we'll see, Holmes was a was a very intelligent man. He was persuasive, manipulative, and his foresight and planning from all his scams. He did a lot of scams, built a lot of gadgets, he did a lot of murder. All of that, his foresight and that was incredible. But let me make this clear. His mind was brilliant, and according to a documentary I watched, they said he could have changed the world. I don't think he was, I don't think he was that clever. But, you know, for serial killers and psychopaths, he actually did um, uh, complete university. And that's the thing, a lot, a lot of the serial killers, uh, like you said, psychopaths, but mainly the folks serial killers, are quite dysfunctional people. They're, 
They're I'm fucking. I'm fucking straight. They are. Well, well, obviously, but I mean, like when you, before the crimes occur, they're dysfunctional people. They're outcasts. They're people who come from troubled backgrounds, and they were never going to amount to anything. That's kind of what drove them. Basically, things that caused them to go a certain way. But H. H. Holmes was essentially. Mm-hmm by all accounts, going to be a successful professional. Yeah, he could well have been. And he probably did save a lot of lives because he was a doctor at some point. He was in a pharmacy. Yeah. But, you know, he's still a fucking dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, quick point that the research for this has come from a book called The Devil in the White Sea by Eric Larson, which will be made into a film starring Leonardo DiCaprio and directed by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's going to be fantastic. Uh, yeah, God, I'm looking as, forward to it. As much as I hate to admit it, I do quite like Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor. He's, he's so dreamy. Well, well, he, he started off dreamy, but now he's getting a bit older. He's kind of... He's lost the image that he had to me in the beach in Titanic, and I, yeah. I just think I'm really looking forward to it. Although it's been in, it's been planned for a while. I think it might go... I hope it doesn't end up stillborn. Like, oh, I feel like... I, don't, I hope projects. nothing ends up stillborn. Well, that's... A good way to kind of a good mentality to go through Sorry. life. Right, so <laughs> as you can see, we, we neither of us have come from a, a broadcasting background. We're actually coming to this from an enthusiastic background. We were both personally interested in this subject matter. We've kind of stumbled across the podcast because we thought, well, we want to make the podcast that we want to hear. We want to make a podcast that appeals to people who are, you know, well versed in the subject matter and also people who are completely new to it so if you know everything there is to know about HHOs we'd like to think that we're going to tell you stuff that you may not know and also you might like our take on things you might like the humour and if you don't know anything about it hopefully we're not going to be that in depth that we're going to put you off completely yeah we're not going to go into um, gory details um, but not in this episode but no. I will touch on some of those in the future episodes but there, there's warning children die in this episode there are some really sad parts. So if that's not you, that's not for you. You can just you can just turn away. Just I go, mean, just go away. Just turn the volume down and just listen. Give us a listen. Yeah, just just. I mean, yeah. that would really help us out if you just played it with yeah. the volume down. Uh, put it on repeat overnight. That would help the listeners yeah. as well. Also, uh, just send me money. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we're setting up a PO box for donations, <laughs> and you know anything's welcome. Old clothes, you know things like that. Basically, something that we shouldn't have to say, but I feel like we will do. We're not hero worshipping this at any point. We're not saying that these people are fantastic people and, oh, look how amazing they are. We're doing this from a point of interest and the fact that we're as sickened as anyone else is about these crimes. But we don't want to... don't want, basically, people to think that we think that H.H. Holmes is a fantastic person. He was a fantastic criminal and a fantastic murderer. He was very good at what he did. He was a super bad guy. Yeah. Super bad guy. We find, I mean, we both have backgrounds... uh, well, we've both got psychology degrees. That's how we met at university. And uh, whilst neither of us are using those at the moment, no, uh, no, not yet. Just, we, we both have that interest, and we've always been interested in the darker side of human nature, basically. The so macabre, the the macabre, macabre, the macabre, macabre, macabre. Nobody knows how to say that word, so we will say that in say that several different ways. In the same way that the stopped clock is right twice a day. Uh, we'd like to think that if we say this word uh, incorrectly each time we say it we'll be right at least twice an episode yeah hopefully Mm. macabre 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 okay kicking things off let's discuss the era of the murders to do this I need to explain why the city of Chicago was like how it was so going back 20 years um, prior to the crimes there was a huge fire in Chicago known as the Great Chicago Fire it happened in 1871 and lasted two days 
it's quite an interesting read if you really want to go into it. Um, but Chicago at the time was mainly built in wood, so everything just continually burned, and it must have been so difficult to keep under control and even stop. In my research, this I actually read that it blew across the river and actually started igniting, uh, igniting houses and buildings on the other side of the riverbanks. That's just crazy. Which is it's, it shows the power of it. I think a lot of the age age homes of fires. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, <laughs> this fire built a hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, most fires knock them down, but this was really a game changer. Yeah, it was mad. Um, and in a city which a population hadn't even reached one million, three hundred people were killed in the fire. Seventeen and a half thousand homes were destroyed, and one hundred thousand people left without a place to live. So this set the scene for Chicago. Twenty years on, it was rebuilding itself. It was getting new houses, new buildings, and a lot of opportunity for new people to come to the city to help rebuild. There was a huge, huge influx of men and women coming there to start new new careers. Uh, sometimes, some of the most at the time, sorry, most of the most modern building methods were used in Chicago, and it actually is home to the first ever skyscraper, which I believe was a home insurance building, and it was a huge, whopping, ten stories high, <laughs> ten stories. There's nothing compared to the Mia Khalifa, <laughs> sorry, the Burj, <laughs> the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. I've been up both. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Burj Khalifa is no home insurance building but it was impressive um, so with Chicago becoming such a modern city it then applied to host the World's Fair which would take place in 1893 a World Fair is basically a huge fair that puts a city on the map <clears throat> the vote for this was between um, New York, Washington St. Louis and Chicago I think the favourites um, were Washington or New York. Chicago and St. Louis were the outsiders. But apparently St. Louis were considered much, uh, weren't considered much contenders and such quotes as, I am prepared to state that any person from St. Louis would rob a church or poison his wife's dog. And that was said at Congress about St. Louis. So they, they didn't have much hope in hell, did they? Uh, for those who aren't aware of the World Fairs, these are, they don't really happen anymore, but they basically were things that they do still happen they do still happen they're like every four years or something like well the thing is okay I'll rephrase that they aren't publicised very much anymore at least I you philistine I didn't get an invite <laughs> they're a massive pacing contest between countries basically it's under the under the under the guise of look what technological marvels we have look what architectural marvels we have it's basically saying we're better than you we've built a 10 story skyscraper yeah. stick it up your arse and go and eat stones back in France there's different ones you get ones for um, technological advances construction advances and stuff like that right. London have had a couple the Eiffel Tower was on display at one of them mm-hmm. and stuff like that it started in France but we're not here for the World Fair are we? no definitely but after the vote at Congress Chicago won and pl- planning started for the 6th six month long event it was so huge this event 27 million people would visit Chicago in the six month period the main attraction James you want to talk about the main attraction well it was a basically a pool called the Columbus pool which was uh, in honour of Christopher Columbus uh, which one of the, the many names he went by because he wasn't British speaking he didn't speak English he was uh, I believe he was Italian, but I always thought he was Portuguese. Oh, so no idea. That shows what I know. No. Uh, the Columbus Pool was a, a giant pool, and rumour has it that it was actually filled with the tears of the Native Americans that Christopher <laughs> Columbus enslaved and murdered uh, throughout his uh, crusade to the new land. 
I'll reference back to the badly researched podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's true. But what is true that is Chicago is now a very fast expanding city. Architects were in high demand. And one became so rich. I read about this one guy became so rich. To age his wine, he had it shipped around the world twice. Like, I'm not rich or smart. And this guy's probably much richer and smarter than me. But that's a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> Everyone knows three times. <laughs> yeah? Exactly. Three, three times around the world. Twice. You yeah. might as well not bother. Yeah, what's the point? It's, it's, I, would, I wouldn't get out of bed reverse, for That's reverse aging that. Yeah, it's fucking it's, prick. <laughs> but, so it sounds like um, Chicago was all good. But not all was good about the city's expansion, rapid expansion of that. The police force could not expand and cope with the city's ever-growing needs. Dead animals like cats, dogs, horses would just be left where they died. There was an average of four deaths a day in Chicago. Crime was rife, shooting ranging from men shooting women, women shooting men, children shooting children, rats shooting cats. I don't know. There was, there was a lot going on, like a lot of deaths. All trains, and this was a very busy city, all trains in and out of the city were at ground level. Two deaths a day were sometimes reported by people walking in front of trains. Walking in front of trains. As someone who's been to Amsterdam several times and nearly been killed by the, the trams, I can... I can you understand compare. the difference between a tram and a train, James? No. All oh, right, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> People reportedly found severed heads, hopefully from trains and not some other gruesome murders that were happening. Horses would get scared. They would bolt into crowds, pulling their carriage behind them. Disease was also rife in the city. Diphtheria, typhus cholera to name a few and in the first six months of 1892 there were 800 reported violent deaths Jesus. so that's if that continued 16,000 1600 that's my math 1600 deaths in one year coming from jealous partners armed robbery and the likes horrible horrible place I think it was a lot of this I mean this could, I could be wrong in saying this but I think a lot of it was because people were coming flocking from the smaller towns uh and people just like flocking to the city like desperate to make something better with their lives and as a result there was this air of desperation and people were moving to the city with like no possessions and then obviously like tempers were like very frayed and things were just like a I think it was just a big melting pot and things were always going to go wrong at some point yeah probably it was a very fast expanding city anything anything could happen anything and anything did happen (gasps) oh my god and all this was going on in the city that was chosen to host the World Fair. And for me and James is touching that this was just a, a fusion of various situations and this was perfect for a serial killer to, to do what he did. Yeah. And it happened. It was going to happen. I mean, the phrase perfect storm gets banded around a lot and it, this literally is everything lined up to make this possible. It was politically, socially, economically, the man's education, the man's upbringing, where he went. It just all seemed to fit together to allow this to happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so now we've really discussed the, the era, the time that was going on allowed, that allowed this to happen. Let's let's get to the crux of the matter. Let's get on to H.H. Holmes. We've been calling him H.H. Holmes. This was not his birth name. His name was actually Dickhead McGee. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we had something in common. Yep, yep. No, no. Um, he was born as Herman Webster Mudgett. <laughs> what a name, eh? That's a terrible You don't name. make him like that anymore. No. No. 16th of May, 1861, in a place called Gilmerton, New Hampshire. Parents named Theodate Page Price and Levi Horton Mudgett. I don't know these names. Like, 
I don't know who's the mother and who's the father. These are horrific names. Theodate Page Price, Levi Horton Mudgeon. Yeah, maybe maybe they were like both dads. Could be both dads, both homes. I think these are names that are going to make a revival in the current hipster scene when they all <laughs> when, when they all start having kids. They'll be vegan as well. Yeah, they're yeah. these vegan babies. <laughs> Can't drink the mother's milk. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Holmes was the third born of five children, two older siblings, siblings Ellen and Arthur Mudgett, and two younger Harry and Mary. Now these are this this is the birth of the normal name. Yeah, this, they, they are we perfectly are reading, acceptable. Yeah, if you, you could meet people with those names today, and you wouldn't blink exactly. Twice. We're going to meet other people in this story with similar stupid names to Theodate Page Price and Horton Mudgett. And you know what, Herman. Jen? I can't wait. Yes, it's going to be exciting. And despite um, serial killers having a reputation for an abusive upbringing, domineering mother, absent father, stuff that stuff like that, this book that I read um, says that there's no real supportive evidence for that. There are things that happened in his life that, that could, you know, be related to what he, what he did. But he even said himself, um, he's had a, a normal upbringing and he was a mother's boy. That's a quote. He was a mother's boy. I don't know why he sounds like, but that's what he does. That's the, the, they all sounded like that back yeah. in the day. Everyone sounds like this back in the day. I was born in 1882. I was born in the dark. <laughs> I'm going to build a hotel. Um, <laughs> Holmes, however, did give a very, very insightful um, reason for why he turned out like this. And this is what he said in his um, memoirs when he was finally captured and in jail. <clears throat> I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one as my sponsor, beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me ever since. Why haven't psychological profiles just blamed the devil? It's because he's, it's not his fault. I think it's, you know, as, as someone who is very open to the idea of Satanism, which isn't devil worship, I just think he's got a bad press. Well, the devil's got a bad press. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll put it down to that. Bad newspaper journalism. So, there we go. We've we figured out why serial killers happen. It's, it's just the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the no. evil one. I think if, if we did go with that, mind hunters would have taken a different turn, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Holmes was known as a, an intelligent child who was obsessed with making gadgets. And a theme, that's a theme we'll encounter later on. In his childhood, he designed and built a gadget that would make a noise to scare off birds, which, in my head, you would just go, Bear! and that's enough to scare off a bird. There, there is already a gadget that scares off birds. It's called a, a drum. A drum. It's called a scare bird. It's called your mouth. Yeah. You go, ah! And yeah. then the birds go away. Yeah. It's quite simple. And he also made a perpetual motion machine, which is quite impressive. I love this. But you know what? In my childhood, I won the Champions League with Livingston on Football Manager. So, suck it, Holmes. <laughs> um, he did, however, have a small box, which um, was a bit weird, and he kept his most prized possessions in. Um, for example, he had his first tooth and a picture of his uh, 12-year-old sweetheart. I think he was a kid, so like they were both 12. That's, I was going to say, like if this was when he was an adult, that's kind of another crime we can add to the list. There was speculation that he did eventually start keeping skulls, dead animals, stuff like that and that, but... It's, it, as far as I can tell it was only speculation two two things we can point out in his childhood when he was at school he did get bullied he was an intelligent guy he got bullied spent a lot of time by himself and the bullies did lock him in a 
GP office, the doctor's office, and at the time they had skeletons, real skeletons, um, and they locked him in there with just a skeleton, and it was meant to like scare the shit out of him, but I think he enjoyed it. Yeah, it got him fascinated with the human body, stuff like that, and that's maybe why he ended up becoming um, a doctor. This is the thing that kind of bothers me because I think if someone said, "Oh, we're going to scare you, we're going to lock you in a room with a human skeleton," I, I too would have loved that. Really, I'd have been fascinated. Yeah, it's, I think people realise that the you, your traditional skeleton that's up in the corner of the doctor's room up until I don't want to say recently, but more recently than you think was actually a real human skeleton, yeah. and there was whole businesses dedicated to getting these, cleaning them. Yeah, H.H. Holmes was in this business. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. See, this is why you're hosting this one. Yeah. Did you not know about that? What? No. No, you're stupid. <laughs> and there was another thing, which, you know, looking back, you know, we, we probably know what happened, but at the time, he had one close friend, and it was a boy named Tom, and the two were out playing in an abandoned house, and Tom was killed in a fall. Now, all? Really? Looking back, probably murdered. This is the thing of where was he murdered? Did was it a push that he wanted to see what would happen? This mm-hmm. this curiosity about the human body. Did he want to see if when he fell his leg would break and poke through the skin, the bones would be on show? You know what what was he really expecting to happen? Did he want to see if if I push this person, will they survive? It's a thing of like obviously there's something not right with people who murder other people for these reasons, and if he's lacking the empathy and the compassion and can't really put himself in someone else's shoes he's going to think well this is fine for me to push this boy out off this window ledge or off through this hole in the floor because then I can find out what happens he's not seeing what it would be like for the other person so I don't think that was really the birth of evil as such mm-hmm. but I, I think that was more of a morbid curiosity so do you think he was just like a little psychopath anyway yeah yeah, yeah. That, that could make sense I don't know I'm not qualified to say so at age 16 Holmes graduated high, high school and uh, somehow, at age 16, took up a job teaching. He moved to a new town called Alton, which is in the same state, and I'm looking at Google Maps, it is a stone, stone throw away from where he grew up. It was in Alton that Holmes met his first wife, Clara Lovering, and he was he was a ladies' man. Yeah. He was he was good with the ladies. Uh, you know, if I could interview one person, it'd be him to find out how he got the ladies. <laughs> I wouldn't, by the way. No. He would just say tender anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And by 18, um, him and Clara actually got married. When they first married, there was passion, there was love, which quickly, quickly died off, and that's going to be a theme of Holmes. Um, He became more and more distant. He would leave the house for hours, then he would leave the house for days, then he would leave for weeks, and then he just wouldn't come back. But according to the Alton Wedding Registry, they were still married. I'm not sure of all the time frame of that and when he left, but by 19, he'd enrolled in medical school. He, the University of Michigan, to be precise, which was his top school known for dissection. During university, he took up a job for a book publisher going around selling books door to door, but instead of giving the profits back or even sending the people the books who bought them, he would just take all the money for himself. And according to Holmes, another quote, this was the first dishonest act of my life. No, it fucking wasn't. You, no. killed, you, you killed the boy. <laughs> you kill, killed the boy when you were a child, when you were but a slip of a lad. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Again, that kind of shows that 
if it was an accident, if he did it, he's clearly just not taking any responsibility for what may I can't say for certain he did it. I'm just, I'm no, just joking. He, he might have done it, he might not have done it. Yeah, it's, it kind of seems like if it was anyone else, you'd kind of believe that it was an accident. But yeah. when you see what he, what he later goes on to do. For the purpose of this story, he fucking did it. Yeah. Right? He did it. This job was very brief and not really successful because he stole a lot of money. But for Holmes, it counted for a success. I could hardly count my western trip as a failure, for I had seen Chicago. So, moving on to 1884, he graduated from Michigan with a poor record, and he set out into the world. He set up to, he tried to find a place to set up his practice or his pharmacy, and in order to do this, he took another job traveling, um, and he ended up in New York, where he was hired. I don't know how he's getting into these teaching roles, but he was hired as a school principal, and he's kept this job for a year. And before opening his practice. I think a lot of the things with this is <clears throat> he was a fiercely intelligent man and it comes evident later on where he designed a certain thing. Spoilers. Spoiler alert, he, Spoiler. Designed, he designed something uh, with no formal training in that field. The main thing was, as mentioned before, when he was 16, he got a job teaching. He, he graduated and I think the poor results of his graduation were down to him being bored. Yeah, probably. I, I honestly think yeah. that he wasn't challenged because he was fiercely intelligent. And I think that he had, he just bullshitted his way into these other jobs. He just walked in and essentially just acted the role that they wanted and just bullshitted his way into the positions. I yeah. think that's... Are you saying H.H. Holmes is good at bullshitting? Yes. Oh. Never. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he kept this job for a year. Um, during his time here, there were rumours circulating that he had something to do with the disappearance of a boy because this boy was seen last in Holmes' company. But he was such a charming man, no investigation took place as nobody could imagine Holmes harming anyone, not the school principal. And I've got a theory behind that. They usually get caught before they get to principal level. <laughs> no, not the school principal. No. Teaching paid a little money at the time, and to get money, Holmes got in touch with a former classmate from university, and the pair came up with an insurance scam. This scam, not this specific one, but this idea, would end up being his downfall. During university, he became aware of a shortage of, of um, cadavers for the university to work on. I read that if only cadavers that were fit for use, they met a certain standard, were used, only 20% of the required need and would have been met. So there's a big business in basically grave robbing and so this is what he was intending to do we don't know if he actually did it but what he planned to do was to source a family of three so a mother father and a child and convince them to sign insurance forms naming homes as the beneficiary and then they would fake their deaths by going missing and their bodies turn up at a later date he would split the money with everyone but he had a lot of difficulty finding the bodies I believe that when he did, and he says that he did not go ahead with the scam because he realised that insurance companies were very well equipped to, to spot these. But he was often seen with big wads of cash. Dollar, dollar. <laughs> he was all about that bling bling. Yo. He was all about that bling. Um, yeah, but he was a very smart man. He knew that insurance companies at the time weren't, weren't equipped for this. Bodies would decompose. And there was no real form of an, um, identification. You would just need someone to say, yeah, that's that person. This person you're missing, that's that person. So I, I think he went through with it. But we're not too sure just now. So soon after these rumours um, of the missing boy started circulating, 
Holmes, true to his nature, just got up and left in the dead of night without paying his rent, and he moved to Philadelphia, finding his dream job as a pharmacist. And again, another suspicious circumstance around this, a child died after taking some of the medicine prescribed by Holmes. Is this on purpose? Was this him maybe perfecting his craft? I, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems like he's dabbling. He's he being a very charming man. People would trust him. People were. I get the impression that people weren't as suspicious yeah. in those days as they were now. If they're trusting him with their kids, they're like, oh, they're wandering down the street. Oh, I'm going to go and speak to the pharmacist. Well, of course you trust the yeah. pharmacist. He's like a, a cornerstone of the community. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's like, here, oh, you've got a cough, drink this. Yeah. And then. Drink this methadone. Yeah. Methadone then, bad, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. Drink this cocaine. It's, it's bad after like two cups. <laughs> the third dude doesn't want to go yeah. Um It's quite Moorish. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to remember this was, uh, you know, 1880s. Medicine really probably wasn't that good back then. Medicine was basically like, we figured out what's causing your stomach upset. It's spirits. Yeah. We're going to drill a hole in your head and let the ghosts out. Exactly, yeah. Cut your feet off. Yeah. There you go. Here's some cocaine for your toothache. And there was no limb sip either, so I don't know how they got by. so yeah so so after this um, after this these rumours circulating about the kid and all that he fled the city again and he went to his beloved Chicago and this is where he changed from Herman Webster Mudgett to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes this was in July 1886 he moved to the suburb of Englewood where he found work in a pharmacy working for an older couple Mr. and Mrs. Holton soon after Mr. Holton passed away, and Holmes bought the pharmacy and named it the H.H. Holmes Pharmacy. Business was good. He knew all the clients from working there before, but they were questioned why they were seeing less and less of Mrs. Holton. Holmes varied, um, varied his story from saying she was away on holiday to she'd moved away. So again, there's just more suspicion surrounding where these people actually went. I think he asked the fact that he's a total bullshit artist, and he would just, he was just everything was off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, she, oh, she's away on holiday. Oh, yeah, oh, no, she's not been here for months. Oh, yeah, she's just in the back room sleeping. And that's a common theme as well. He'll, he'll maybe forget his lies later on. So while working here, Holmes was making a profit and the business was running smoothly. He turned his attention to a new lady he had met on a previous, previous business trip. Marta Belknap. Remembering this man is still technically married, two years later, Marta and Holmes were married. So this guy... You know, he filed for divorce, but it just fell through. But he had two wives. What a player! I, I think that might be his his like the most minor of his crimes. Really? Polygamy. That's horrendous. <laughs> Wouldn't get away with that today. They clearly, have different standards. Yeah, um, he ended up having a daughter with um, Marta, Myrita, Myrta, Myrta. We're gonna call her Myrta. Daughter named Lucy with his wife. But again, true to his nature, he became more and more distant. And eventually the marriage was on um, a verge of breaking down and Myrta ended up moving away, although they were still married. She will rejoin us in the story. Don't worry. I know you miss her already. Don't worry. Can she, can she come back now? <laughs> yes. Hello. Oh, oh, bye bye. I thought you'd go. Oh, come bye. back soon. Oh, I need to go in this safe. <sighs> Spoiler alert. Um, a couple of years later, in 1888, he bought a piece of land directly across from the pharmacy. Where was his piece of land? Across from the pharmacy. <laughs> in what part of the country? Chicago. I have an interesting fact oh, about Chicago. Oh, that's where we were going. Did you know that spray paint was invented in Chicago? I did not. Yes. No. <laughs> okay. A couple of years later, bought a piece of land directly across from the pharmacy. 
He gave a false name, H.S. Campbell, and he started to draw blueprints for the building that he wanted to build. He did not go to an architect, although there was a Scottish architect, architect in the same building as his pharmacy. Um, he did this because only he wanted him to know the true nature of what this building was going to contain. His foresight into this building was outstanding for someone who never designed a building before. He planned three floors. The first floor was to house small retail businesses, and the second and third would house <coughs> house um, apartments at this point. It wasn't a hotel at this point, and with his office and personal flat being on the second floor. It was the fine details um, of this building that made it more impressive. There was to be a wooden chute starting from only a location known to homes somewhere on the second floor and ending up in the basement. The chute would end up being lubricated by grease um, to <laughs> presumably slide dad bodies down. Yes, I said dad bodies. <laughs> only slightly overweight dads would go down the chute. I've, I've heard that the dad body is very attractive at the moment. It's yes, very in. That's why he didn't like it. He's like, you're too attractive. Down the chute with you. I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that that was a typo. That, that was read. a typo. Yes. Right. Dead bodies down the street. Dead, Dead bodies of dad bodied people. Right. Now, see, this is an episode of Grand Designs. I would <laughs> love to say, I normally want the people to fail. Uh, you're watching the Grand Designs and they say, well, our budget was 200,000 and at the minute we spent three quarters of a million and we haven't even put the walls up. But basically, I, if I was watching this, I would be totally rooting for him. And... I just think that it'd be... I would want him to succeed, regardless of what the outcome would be. Yeah. This is a mammoth project. The guy has built a slide into his, into his hotel. He's yeah. a building, man. Look, look, I wish I had a slide. I wish I could afford to buy this flat upstairs. I'd put a slide. Fireman pole. There we go. Um, <laughs> the basement where the shoot would end up would contain secret rooms, and there was also a sub-basement. All this was all designed for fun activities like dissection and, you know... Disposal of bodies. Disposal of bodies, yeah. There was quicklime. Quicklime is used to help the um, degeneration of a body. Is that the right word? Yep. Yeah, De- decomposition. Decomposition of for a body. For when a lemon isn't quick enough. Yes. For <laughs> <laughs> when a grapefruit won't do. Yeah. Um, the, the quickest of all citrus. And he would, <laughs> he would also have a furnace installed in the basement. This furnace, um, he, when he, he installed it himself, it wasn't hot enough. So you got someone in, a furnace expert, a phrenologist, I think they're Ooh. called. No. A fireman. <laughs> you got a fireman in to so help redesign it. And the, the fireman, or the phrenologist as we'll call him, um, didn't even question why you know it was shaped like a human body. <laughs> it, think, was, it wasn't exactly like a human body. I think, I think the technical term is smoky doctor. <laughs> it was a smoky doctor. Um, yeah, he, he claimed this furnace was to um, bend class. Because he was to start a glass bending building um, business because Chicago was needing a lot of glass. But nevertheless, the guy the guy didn't question why it was three foot by eight foot. You know? Stupid. Because even he even remarked that um, it wasn't big enough or the right shape to, for, for glass bending. But, you know, no one expected this thing at the time. Also, um, Holmes had a giant walk-in safe or vault um, installed next to his office, which we'll go into more details later. Gas pipes would be installed, um, which would go into various rooms. It would go into the vault, and all the controls for the gas pipes would be in um, H.H. Holmes' office. However, this building was, you know, it was a block-wide, three stories high. Constructing this building was going to be very expensive, and it was going to be very difficult. So, 
while simultaneously avoiding anyone knowing what he was planning. And to finance it, he came up with the best plan ever. Holmes found a solution to avoid suspicion and make this a very affordable venture. What he would do is keep everyone separate in their tasks. He would just give them small tasks to do so no one would know, you know why the gas pipes were going to a room to his office. In addition to this, once the section of work was complete and done well, the workers would go to homes for their wages, at which point he would just accuse them of substandard work and refuse to pay them, which always ended up in either firing them or they would just end up quitting. <clears throat> but as we've mentioned before, this place you know, was just full of new people looking and a lot of the men were doing construction jobs. You know, the, the always men looking for jobs, so he would always just have people turn up in the morning for work. So he'd fire them, they'd do a good job, Sorry, he'd hire them, do a good job, then he'd fire them without paying them, and people would just turn up, keep building his building. This was another one of the circumstances that allowed it to happen. There was always someone willing to take a place of a job, and it was, oh, I'll do a much better job than they did, you need to hire me, governor, you know, and all this. And you'd have someone in, they'd do a job, you'd say, this is a lot of shit, this brickwork, I'm not paying you, I'm going to need to get this all redone. And they'll, again, it was Holmes's bullshit artistry, the fact that he was a respected member of the community, he was essentially a pharmacist, a qualified doctor, telling a brickie, that's a load of shit. And then with his bravado and his confidence, he, the brickies would go away with the tails between the legs and he gets someone else in you to carry it on. And this also helped break up the knowledge of what they were building. Mm-hmm. So it was a, the perfect plan, really. It was, it was There was no contracts. Was there. It's not like he had to pay them. No, he no. wasn't getting wrong from ACAS or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and it wasn't just the labourers that Holmes would deceive. He would frequently buy um, furnishings on credit with no intention of paying them, believing that he could charm his way out of the, if any debt collector showed up. And failing that, he would just um, direct them to the owner of the building, the made-up H.S. Campbell. During construction, though, Holmes uh, became close with two people who would become very important in the story. One is Charles Chapel, who had previously worked in a hospital and had skills in skinning and cleaning bodies. And the other one, um, probably more importantly to the story, is Benjamin Peitzel who ended up being Holmes' right-hand man. Now, Peitzel was a chronic alcoholic, and he had many, many children, three of which were Alice, Nellie, and Howard, and these people would be very important to the story. I think, again, it shows uh, his planning, and he he picked someone who we knew had a dependency on alcohol because he would always have that method of manipulating him. Yeah. He did um, send Peitzel to uh, alcohol treatment just to try and get... uh, the treatment recipe so he could make it and he could sell it for himself but you know they, they injected gold into Peitzel's blood so I don't think that really worked hey, did that you know is that is that a treatment that's carried on to, to this day I don't or? think so it'd be very expensive it would be true maybe not now he's dead but no maybe his corpse it's just gold you open up the, the casket wherever it may be and it's just gleaming gold it's like treasure Pirates oh. of the Caribbean we, sh- we should try and find the treasure I don't think we should <laughs> I don't. I can't think of a, of, of a, a negative outcome to exhuming a corpse. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Yes. So back, we'll, back we'll, in a minute. Yes, we'll wrap this up now and we'll go find bodies. Right. So let's move on to eighteen ninety, and the building was nearly complete, or just about complete. And in total, the bottom floor there was five businesses, seventy-one rooms in the on the second and third floor. There was about 50, 60, 70 doors which some just led into a wall staircases just led nowhere it was just it was just madness apparently essentially it's, a labyrinth. it's prime Scooby-Doo territory I would describe it as a labyrinth because like um, there were reports of David Bowie walking about 
with his bulging cock. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with his uh, business booming in the hotel and the apartment, sorry, he would rent them out and he owned most of the businesses down the bottom, Holmes soon sold his pharmacy across the road, promising the buyer there would be no competition, but Holmes again lied. Where was this pharmacy? What one? The one that was across the road. In Chicago. Is it in Chicago? Oh, no, it was in Chicago. I know a fact about Chicago. Oh, dear. Did you know that Deep Pan Pizza hails from the windy city of Chicago? Allegedly pioneered by Pizzeria Uno in 1943, and is famous for the large amounts of cheese and toppings included. You should, like, um, read adverts and stuff. Strangely, the brand <laughs> Chicago Town Pizza is made in the UK by a German company. <laughs> Fantastic! So, he sold his pharmacy across the road, promising the buyer there would be no competition. But again, Holmes had lied. He ended up opening his own pharmacy on the bottom floor of his new building. And with the doctor being listed as Henry D. Mann. He's the man. <laughs> Been waiting to say that. Henry Ever since D. I typed Henry it. D. That, that was, that's terrible. No, Henry D. Mann. Who, who owns this pharmacy? D. Mann. <laughs> Sorry. Right, and then... Yeah, he also opened a glass-making business, which is why he had the furnace. But all this, all the equipment for this, he, would, he wouldn't even pay for it. he just have on credit, and it was just never paid back. However, he wasn't short on money. His businesses um, were profitable, and on the side, he was um, trying to sell machinery that he'd built. One of these machines would turn water into natural gas. I don't know if he sold any, but what he did... He just hooked up the machine to the actual national gas supply, and when he pressed the button, it would just use gas from the gas supply. I, I don't know if anyone anyone bought it, but it's a pretty stupid idea. I think it's a lot of these things are the majority of it is the way you deliver it, and we've already said he had the gift of the gab. Yeah, he was ve- a very compelling man to speak to. He was charming. He was intelligent. He was good looking. He was good looking. He had an absolute beastly mustache. It was like thatch. It was it was a thatched top lip. Yeah, it he really was. Had, he, His he lip was, was waterproof. It was, yeah. uh, which was, you know, it's it's something I like to aim for myself. <laughs> um, from what I found and read, um, the only thing he was happy to pay for was chloroform. He knows the right people to pay. He knows them. <laughs> With reports suggesting he claimed he was buying so much that he was conducting experiments, but when the same guy asked him, "Oh look, HH." How, or I don't know what name he is, maybe he was like Henry DeMann. Hey, Henry DeMann, how's your experiments going on? He would just say, what, what are you on about? I'm not, I'm not doing any experiments. So again, he's, he's lying, and he's forgetting he's lied. So, really should have raised more suspicion than it did. Um, another way he was trying to make money was this life insurance scam again, and he um, got a, a co-worker, someone working in the building, to try and sign her life insurance over to him. And he would pay her in now money would be $160,000. I don't know what that is in pounds. But um, she was eventually scared off because apparently he told her that she shouldn't be afraid of him, which fucking terrified her. It would terrify me. If someone just came into my house and they're like, oh, sign this piece of paper. But don't be scared of me. I think a lot of it's to do with the circumstances. If they're in bed with you at the time and you went to sleep on your own, then that's kind of scary. I don't, I don't think that's how that was. Right. No, I don't think like they were in bed together. Was was Holmes like, was... just popped up at the side of the bed? And was like, Will you sign this form for me? Well, like, you know, don't be scared. Like I have two questions, and the second one is, how did you get in my kitchen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, sign this form and I'll go away. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the late 1890s then, Holmes learned that the World Fair was to be hosted in Chicago, which meant he had a change of plans. This is where he resi- redesigned the building into more of a, a hotel um, than the apartments. And he would use Chapel and Peitzel, and they were, they were in charge of finding the labour and overseeing the work, which meant he had more time for activities. He was... <laughs> 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 However, he was finding difficulty securing new creditors that he had such a poor, rep- poor reputation. And then he learned of a well-off uncle to his second wife. Oh, you're a good friend. Marta. She's black. He learned of a yeah, very well-off uncle. So glad she's black. And he, she was apparently a good-looking girl. Um, not anymore. I know. That's yeah. why I'm glad she's black. She, he subsequent, subsequently became more and more involved in their lives again, buying gifts, showing up, and sending money. Um, he managed to convince the uncle to gift him money for a new house to rebuild their marriage in. Holmes then forged the signature and he planned to use the extra money on the building. Where, this, where, where was this building? Chicago. Chicago. I have yeah. an interesting fact about Chicago. Yeah. <clears throat> One alleged birthplace of the hot dog was at the Chicago World Fair. A Frankfurter stand owner who was used to selling burning hot sausages complete with white gloves to protect the customer's World Fair fingers <laughs> found that people were stealing the gloves. And it worked out cheaper to supply the sausages in bread rolls. There are several variations on the story, but this one ties in nicely to the World Fair theme of this episode. Yo, fantastic. Facts with Jim. This, um, Murta's uncle was very suspicious of Holmes. He really didn't like Holmes. But Holmes being, you know, the charming guy that he was, he invited the uncle to see his building and made every effort to get him onto the roof. You know, to see the, you know, see what's going on, all the building works and stuff. And though the uncle continually denied the opportunity, he did stay the night at the hotel to, you know, kind of be polite. But he claims that night that he heard a voice which was Peitzel and another person, we're not sure who, tried to break into the room but were unsuccessful. Saying, come up to the roof. <laughs> come full with of, me. Full of sexy women from the hot 1890s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, found, he then found out about the forged signature and it wasn't until much later he suspected that if he went onto the the roof with Holmes, he may not have been around to find the signature. So he suspected that Holmes was taken onto the roof to kill him, basically, um, and steal his money. It ties back to the whole accidental fall of his child's friend. Yeah, really, I didn't think, think about that. Really does, yeah. he, he knows what he's doing. I yeah. don't think there's any. I don't think anything happened by accident with Holmes. No, no, he was a very, very well thought through man, wasn't he? Not much like yourself. Yes. Holmes, though, without the extra money, just continued because that's what he did. And with the two two right-hand men doing a fine job, allowing Holmes to focus on some new residents of the building. Ned, his wife Julia, and child Pearl all ended up living and working in the hotel. Ned owning a jewellery store, Julia worked in and around the pharmacy. Julia, however, appeared to be infatuated by Holmes... So much that so that Ned suspected an affair was happening and Ronaldo did not confront the situation. Suspecting this, Holmes was like, okay, I'm going to make Ned my friend. So he made an offer to Ned to sell him the pharmacy that was in the bottom floor of the building and give him a pay rise, but the extra pay rise would go to payment of the business. So Ned would own a business, but still be getting the same pay, which I think was $12 an hour or $12 a day. It's not a lot of money. Twelve dollars an hour is probably more than most people get in America at the moment, so I think it was yeah. twelve dollars a day. Maybe it was. Something like that. But Holmes even paid for legal fees. 
and Ned's like, this guy's this guy's brilliant. He's such a nice guy. He would never fool me. But as we know, because we're much smarter than Ned, that Holmes dealing with Holmes is never ever a good plan. That's why I I have made it my lifelong you know point of view to never deal with H. H. Jones. Yeah. 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 This is a really good idea. Um, Ned was soon visited by debt collectors. Now he was the owner of the business. Classic Holmes. Oh, oh, classic. He's such a card. Um, so Ned had to pay off the debts, um, but Ned was still now suspicious of Holmes and Julia, and eventually, you know, their marriage got worse and worse and broke down. Ned moving away to find love in a different part of the country, only returning to divorce Julia and then try and win custody of Pearl, which unfortunately for Pearl. Um, he lost the custody battle and she stayed in the vicinity of H.H. Holmes. Turns out that there was an affair and soon after Ned left, Julia fell pregnant to Holmes and Julia demanded that Holmes had no choice but to marry her now. Holmes being the happy guy that he is, he's like, yeah, no, no problem, I'll marry you. But there has to be one condition. He's you know, I've got five businesses on the go, I've got people coming and going, I'm building a hotel, we've already got a stepdaughter, I would like you to have an abortion, please. Okay, H.H. Holmes, I'll have an abortion. Oh, but one more thing. Um, could I could I perform the abortion, please? Now, Holmes had performed this, being a doctor, but it's still quite a horrible thing to do. You know, you've got a woman pregnant with your child and you want to perform an abortion on her. I think as well, you've got to remember that at this time, this wasn't... I don't think surgery really had the finesse. This was when the difference between surgeons and doctors was really around because the surgeons were more akin to butchers, essentially. Uh, a lot of the work of surgeons was mainly uh, amputations, tagging up, war wounds, things like that. And this wasn't. This wouldn't have been a precise, subtle procedure. It would have been brutal. Oh, it would have been horrendous. Yeah. But he managed to convince her that everything was going to be okay. I'm going to chloroform you. You'll be fine. Yeah. But um, I'm going to ask you the question. But if you were to pick one day that you were to not perform an abortion on, what day would it be? Uh, my birthday yep. or Christmas Day. Okay. They did it on Christmas Eve. Oh, that's fine. No. <laughs> Get it out of the way. No. It's horrendous. Unless, I believe, I think it's Eastern Europe, have, uh, Christmas Eve is the more pivotal day for them in the uh, yeah. season of celebration. Sorry, if you pronounce her name, her name was Julia. She was yeah, Eastern European. Exactly. No, she wasn't. But yeah, it was still it was horrendous. Regardless of when it was, it's, it's, it's horrendous. Um, he managed to convince her everything was going to be fine. He was to anaesthetize her using chloroform. And she was promised that she would feel no pain and work, wake up perfectly fine with no child inside her. I mean, was she, was she fucking stupid? Um, so Julia put her daughter to bed, who was now all excited for Christmas. And they said goodnight, unknowingly for the last time. She was led, then led to the second floor room by H.H. H. Holmes. In the hotel, a room she didn't know existed. I mean, that's that's number one. You know, where did this room come from? This is this is not right. Um, but she was just assured everything was going to be okay. Holmes then covered her face with chloroform, um, a chloroform drenched cloth, and he did not let go. He felt the pulse, and it, and as it faded, his arousal and excitement probably grew. Once he'd finished murdering Julia, he headed to Pearl's room, who unfortunately was destined to the same fate as her mother. It's almost like he's in total clean-up mode. It was yeah. it was like, I've got this one pregnant, I need to get rid of the baby. I've got her in the abortion room, I need to get rid of her. 
and then he's just totally just well, attempting to clean everything well, up. What, what I think is he's, he's just a very ambitious man. He's got what he wants to do, and if something is getting in his way, he gets rid of it. Yeah. Which, you know, people do, but they don't always kill people. You know? No, not always. People, you get people ambition, but they don't always kill things in their way. I mean, but, there, is, there is that saying of if you want to achieve, you know, your goals, you have to murder an unborn child, <laughs> a woman, and a toddler. Yeah, I've never heard that one. That might just be my family that has yeah. that saying. <laughs> Um, somehow through com- um, conversation Holmes learned of his assistant Chapel's skill in skinning and cleansing human bodies I don't know how that, that pops up in conversations maybe had a CV yeah number one skill <laughs> did you know that I can Chapel was led to the second floor room where an unknown body was lying on the table Chapel was paid $36 to take the body away and bring back the skeleton once completed Holmes then sold, sold the skeleton to a local college for many times the amount he paid to chapel. It's almost like the perfect setup because not only is he the person who's cleaning the body probably thinks the body has been obtained through nefarious means, but doesn't quite know exactly how it's been obtained. He might just think, "Oh, it's been someone that's died and they've obtained the body, or it's been taken from a grave, or stolen from a morgue, or something like that." But also, the fact is, the people who he's then selling the skeleton to, they're not going to be telling anyone about where it came from because they want to keep it under wraps he's, well. he's a trustworthy worthy source. He's a doctor. Yeah. He, can, he can easily get his hand on bodies. In, in that time, maybe, I don't know. He's a doctor, he's a, a small business owner, he owns several businesses, he's a pillar of the community. Yeah. Um, so, I think, on that sad note, we should end our first ever episode of A Bloody Mess. Thank you very much for listening. Thank James, you. you got anything to add? No, just that uh, we're going to be picking up uh, this one with our episode two, yep. which is, I'd hope that you queue it up and it's ready to play on your exactly. chosen podcast. Yeah. Even if you don't here. listen, just let it play. Yeah, just, again, just let it play on mute while you go to bed. That's fine. Thank you. Exactly. Nope, uh, but, thank you very, very, very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope it's been informative. And we will see you later, motherfuckers. What's up, Fair City Podcast? This is Chris and Dan from Fresh Talk. Check us out at freshtalkpodcast.com. That's right. And if you had any idea how long it took me and Dan to do that bumper, you would actually probably never listen to us. It's totally true. Get him, Stoby. You've been listening to another great podcast from the Fair City Podcast Network, a group dedicated to connecting and developing podcasts. Check out fcpod.net for more great podcasts and content.